and welcome to the Canine Conversations podcast, where we're positively obsessed with behavior. Join certified dog trainers as we discuss case studies, explore training concepts, and interview experts in the field of behavior. Today's episode includes myself, Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado, and Kayla Fratt, owner of Journey Dog Training, a remote online training business. Hi, guys. Today, we're going to be talking about remote and online training. This is an exciting area of dog training. Kayla's entire business is online. Super cool. So Kayla, can you start us off by outlining what online dog training actually looks like? Yeah, sure, Marissa. So I think there's a lot of different options for how online dog training is offered. Um, I know like Fenzy Dog Sports Academy does these group setups where there are gold students that get much more interaction with the instructor and then there are silver students who get a little bit less and then bronze students who are literally just auditing. Um, and then there are other courses that I've looked at that are much more kind of like self-study Udemy style um, sort of things. And then there's one more that I see quite a bit of, and that's more of basically what you and I do as private dog training, but through video instead of in person. So you're literally like on a video chat and you're helping that person work through training as if you were in their home. So there are those three kind of types. And then what I actually offer on my site, which is some of those and then some other things as well. I think one of the exciting things about remote training is there isn't as much of a set in paradigm for what that looks like the way that there is for in-person dog training. So I'm enjoying experimenting. And what I have offered on my site right now are those video or phone calls that are one-on-one. -on -one. So like, like the in-person dog training um, or the private training, just literally um, over video chat. And then I also offer text and email support, which I offer on a subscription basis. So basically someone can sign up for a month or year of my inbox access, and then I will respond to them within 24 hours if they get to me in business days, and we go back and forth through that. Then there are group classes, which is very similar to what Fenzy does, that we use doing um, private Facebook groups and email to just get people their lectures and all that stuff. And then we also do some pre-recorded classes at Journey Dog Training, which basically take those group classes and then turn them into a pre-recorded class as well. Um, I know that you are about to launch a course as well. What are what what are you doing with yours? Um, my course is going to be all the content from my book, uh, basically on steroids and in an interactive way. We're going to have the folks come on. It's going to be interactive. They're going to be able to ask questions, get answers to their current um, situations. And then um, I'm going to be going through content. And then we're going to have a Facebook group in between each of the sessions. And it's six sessions long. So um, it's quite quite a bit of information, quite a bit of interaction. And mm -hmm. we're really, I'm really excited about it. This is the first time that yeah. I've done an online class. So we'll, we'll see how this goes. Yeah. So is that more like you have like scheduled meeting times where people come into a group video chat sort of Correct. thing? Correct. Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's still a group class, but it's different from like, so my group classes that I offer, they don't necessarily get any one-on-one -on -one video time with me or in like live video time. It's mm -hmm. just that it's all offered. So that, yeah, there's so many different ways to do it. Yeah, um, there's so much. It's crazy. Yeah, and then the last thing I do personally online is I also have a couple ebooks written, which kind of fall somewhere between blog content and online training. Um, I mean, the ebooks, what I like about them is they're much more living content than like a written book. Um, like I literally mm -hmm. just went back in the other day and added something into one of my ebooks. And now anyone who purchases it from here on out 
gets that instead. It was so much easier to do than like, I know you have a book in print and I know you're planning yeah. on one day doing a second version, but like, holy cow, that's a lot of work. Yeah, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, there's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. And I'm sure there are some people who are doing it other ways that we haven't even talked about. Yeah, super cool. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously there are some pros and cons to each format, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. Could you give us an example of what sorts of problems are best or worst suited to each format? Yeah, sure. So I find that video and phone calls are best for people who have specific questions or who like live demos of what we're working on. So for example, I work with a lot of overly excited dogs this way, and it's also really well suited for brainstorming and troubleshooting because we get to go back and forth a bunch. Um, So especially if I'm not quite understanding what someone is asking me, those live calls are so helpful because even over email, um, if people aren't getting back to me really, really quickly, Um, it can take days for me to figure out, oh, okay, that's what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also had some pretty good success with resource guarding and phobias and reactivity. Um, I also really, really like, I currently offer a 15 minute consult on my um, website and I do charge for that. I know a lot of people offer like a free 15 minute consult, but I was having not much luck converting people with that. So now I offer that as a separate service and I get a lot of people who are doing that when they're mostly trying to figure out, like, is this something that a trainer could work on? Mm-hmm. How do I find a good trainer? How serious is this problem? So I get a lot of people who are in the early stages of dealing with aggression who do those 15 minute calls and literally just like, I'm like, boom, boom, boom. Here's what we need to do to to get things to be safer for you and your family or your neighbors or whoever is the target of yep. aggression. And here's how you can help get started finding another trainer. Some of those people do turn into clients for me, but actually most of them I manage to refer out to someone in their area, which I would rather do anyway, because aggression is one of those things, especially when it's got a bite history and especially if it's towards anyone in the home, dog or cat or person. I don't like working with that remotely. I will if I have to. Um, I do have clients that are in, you know, Alaska or Japan or Belgium or wherever, where it's just like, there's literally no one else for them, but um, it's not my favorite. Mm-hmm. So, and then the email and text support is right now, it's my f- favorite service that I offer. Um, and as I said earlier, people basically purchase a comprehensive pass to my inbox for a month or a year. They can ask as many questions as they like. Um, and I find this is really, really good for kind of those slow ongoing training processes where there's a lot of, okay, so now what <laughs> sort of questions. Um, so right now I'm currently working with dog cat intros, um, separation anxiety, kitty litter box problems, a hyperactive puppy and some potty training clients this way. Um, I keep my prices really, really low for that. Cause one of the things I've found is I thought it was going to be more work than it is, but generally what I get is a ton of emails in those first couple days. And then I start giving people homework and, you know, they're just, they're, they're chugging along and I don't talk to them all that frequently other than, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe once a week, like they check in and they're like, okay, so now dog and cat are able to eat five feet away from each other on opposite sides of the baby gate. Now what? Um, it's really, really nice. Um, and I also really like, I don't, I, again, I don't have to charge much because I can do a lot of the answering, like while my boyfriend is driving and I'm on my phone. Um, so it's really, really easy for me to fit in. So in that particular service, do you find yourself needing to ask for video just in yes. case you're you're sort of getting stuck? I'm, I was just curious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I've been thinking about 
having like an upsell where I have mm -hmm. I charge more if people are going to be mm -hmm. sending me video. But honestly, it makes my job easier if people send me video. So like I, on one hand, I think it would make sense to charge more for accessing mm -hmm. video. But honestly, it just makes my job so much easier if people do send me video. Like it, it yeah. goes faster if people send me video. So I don't think I'm going to charge more for it. And it's already kind of difficult to convince people to video stuff and send it to me. Um, people get really shy and they like are worried that their house is a mess or they're worried they did something wrong and they really get nervous about sending video. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not I don't think right now I'm planning on any, adding any extra barriers um, to the video stuff. Yeah. So then the other two course options are new this year in 2019. Um, the downside of them is obviously they're only good if you've got a problem that we're covering in a given course. Um, so right now I'm just wrapping up a course on aggression towards kids. Um, and then my partner at Journey Dog Training, Aaron Jones, is a, launching today a course on separation anxiety. But so, yeah, if you've got a hyperactive puppy, you don't fall into either of those categories. So you can't help up. We can't help you with that through that venue. Um, but I think the courses are kind of the best bagging for your buck that what we offer, um, because mm -hmm. you're getting six weeks of material for the cost of two one hour calls. Um, and it just covers a lot more. Like, I think one of the downsides of the email and text is I am much more hands off with that. So if people don't ask me, I'm not going to chase them down. If people don't email me regularly, I'm not going to chase them down and tell them a bunch of stuff versus the courses. I've already got kind of in my head what they need to know. And I've got a bunch more recorded stuff and lectures ready mm -hmm. for them. And people might miss out on that on the email and text support things because they're not thinking about it and they don't ask me. Yeah. I think, I think what's so great is that you're creating different formats for different types of learners, different types of problems, um, ways in which people process information. Because like for me, I would want to get live interaction with you and talk to you about my problem versus taking like an overarching course. But, but that's also like in my professional career, I can take overarching like topic courses and I don't need necessarily the one-on-one. -on -one. But for me personally, I really like that one-on-one. -on -one. And I love that you have a bunch of different formats for people so that they feel like their needs are being met no matter how they're interacting with journey dog training, which is awesome. Yeah. So yeah. I, love I, that. I agree. Um, what sort of advantages and disadvantages do you see for online dog training, especially kind of versus that traditional in-person training? Yeah, I think some advantages are is that, you know, some people do not live near a good dog trainer um, and and some people don't even live near dog trainers, period. So like if there is that 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 they're in rural parts of Colorado, like I'm doing a lot of work through Dumb Friends League and my new position in rural Colorado, there's really not a lot of access to great dog trainers and then um, let alone dog trainers, period. So uh, there's, there's a lot of uh, punishment trainers in those areas. And so I think referring folks to you and to other online platforms is really helpful so that they can get like the most cutting edge information. Um, so there's that. Um, the other one, another advantage is that um, it's it's just cheaper. Um, you know, they can get access to issues and they're not priced out by whether or not they can afford to drive to and from a, a training center um, or they are priced out of private dog training. I mean, private dog training is 
it's pretty really expensive. expensive. It's not, I mean, it's really expensive. Um, and it makes sense why it's expensive. We're, we're professionals. We are coming into your home. We are dealing with some significant issues. Um, however, it's not for everyone. Um, and, you know, it also just allows for a different format. Like lots of times people want to uh, learn in a specific way and, and working with folks privately or even going to a class can be really overwhelming for people. And mm-hmm. it's not the best platform for them to learn and take information, especially if they're dealing with a behavior concern that they're embarrassed about. So there's a lot of really great advantages. Plus it's, it's the way learning is going, like all learning is going online and dog training should, should be following that as well. Um, some disadvantages though are, is that it's a little bit tricky to not be able to see, like I am very hands-on and I need to be there and be in person. And I like that. And I feel really comfortable in that space. So sometimes it's, it's a little bit uncomfortable for me to do stuff online. And I, and I think that that just comes with practice. Um, and some trainers can, um, you know, details can fall through the cracks because maybe they're mm-hmm. not there in person noticing exactly what the dog is doing. Like we're relying on people, like we're, we're relying on our ability to ask really good questions and for people to be answering appropriately and giving us the information that we need. So I imagine Kayla, that you have become a pretty good detective (laughs) because you're not there. Like you have to get really creative with your questions and ask a lot of really good ones and ask more follow-up questions and not just take the information as given to you. Um, and you know, obviously other disadvantages could include that you might not be able to intervene or help with a demonstration or uh, like, like there's so many times where I'm in person where, where I'm just offering a little bit of coaching advice to Mm -hmm. the person while they're actually training. So that can be tricky. Um, And then, I mean, just a sort of a, random disadvantage is that like board and trains are not possible uh, because you're, you're yeah. not present. Um, and I think board and trains are, I'm actually working with a few trainers right now where they are supporting my clients with that because I don't have the time to do that. And they're just jump starting these dogs into yeah, more positive absolutely. interactions. And I think board and trains are really, really excellent, especially if that trainer has a good transfer system that they're yeah. working with that client so that the client can maintain the behavior that they work so hard to build. So, um, and lastly, technology can sometimes not work. I mean, we are launching this mm-hmm. podcast online and Kayla is not <laughs> normally where I sit or where Ursa sits and technology can be challenging. So, yes. um, Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. And I think you made a good point about um, kind of the board and train and the intervention aspect. I know I was just talking to another trainer about one of my my clients who's really, really lovely, and they're doing some dog cat intros. um, And they're having a really hard time with it. And I think one of the things that is hard as an online trainer is if you don't have a really deep bag of tricks from practicing in person, it can be harder to troubleshoot Mm -hmm. because you're not there to see what's going on. So, um, you know, with this particular client, I'm having a really hard time kind of figuring out why my normal protocols are not working the way that they normally do because I'm not Mm -hmm. there to see 
And I'm kind of, I mean, they are sending me video, but it's, uh, it's not yeah. the same. Um, and I think if I had 10 more years of experience, that might be a little bit easier for me to deal with because I would just have a deeper bag of tricks of saying, oh, okay, so this does sound a little bit like this person that I saw five years ago. And I could reach into that a little bit more. Um, does that make mm -hmm. sense? That's, I think yeah, that's the biggest totally. thing I've been struggling with lately is if it's not something I'm super well versed in or something that I did a ton of, um, in person, yeah. you know, it's still the sort of thing where I'm like, okay, I, I like, I get this and I've done this, but if I've only had a couple in-person clients doing that before, um, mm -hmm. like that's really great reflection for you that, that you're thinking about that and whether or not, you know. Like what, what sort of support do you need to help that person because you are remote? Yeah. And I think one of the thing, as we were kind of saying about board and train option as well is, um, I know animal training Academy had a great podcast episode with, um, I think it was the founder of dog tech where they talked a lot about board and train and they had this great spiel that the founder went on. And I really hope I'm giving credit to the right person here. Um, about the idea <laughs> that like we, when we're school, you know, schooling kids or whatever, we really think a lot about, we, we send them to school and we teach them stuff and then we send them home with homework. Um, and the, the woman on this animal training Academy episode was talking about like, why don't we do more of that with dogs? Why do we come in and expect that in an hour we can impart our years and years and years of accrued information and then send them home to do all of the work? And that, that podcast really had me kind of jumping up and down in my seat and then kind of being like, oh crap, but I can't do that. Like I'm doing, I'm going in the opposite direction. I'm doing much more of the kind of like DIY sort of thing um, mm -hmm. versus board and trained, which is much more of that school sort of mentality. And I think there are some serious advantages and disadvantages to both. But I actually started out doing day training for my first couple of years. I did not really work with the owners much. I really pretty much just came in and trained the dog while they were at work, sent them video updates and told them how to continue doing the training. And it was much more of that zone of things. And there were problems with that as well. Um, but uh, yeah, it's really interesting how kind of, I think dog training is starting to spread out more into those three different areas, you know, board and train versus in-person, whether that's group or private versus online. And depending on your learning style and depending on what you're working on, um, one of those is probably going to work better than the others. Yeah. So we're about to take an ad break, but when we come back, we're going to be talking about what behavior problems aren't so well suited to online training. But first, let's take a moment to hear from our sponsors. This episode was sponsored by Canine of Mine, an online dog care resource that aims to provide owners with all the information that they need to become better pet parents. Canine of Mine has tons of great resources from adoption guides and dog food recommendations to breed profiles and training tips. And a lot of those training tips are written by me, Kayla. I actually worked on the dog adoption guide on the website and it's pretty awesome. It's a three part guide. And in part one, we created a score sheet that you can use to evaluate different dog adoption candidates and help you calculate a final score to find your dream dog. And then parts two and three deal with how to help your dog adjust to his new home and what activities you should be doing those first few weeks to bond together and get started on the right paw. Canine of Mine also focuses on tons of really common owner, owner FAQs, ranging from what to do if your dog eats a diaper to what kind of dog is best for marathon running owners. Canine of Mine is a fantastic resource for any dog owner looking to take better care of their canine. And you can check them out at canineofmine.com. That's letter K number nine of mine.com.
So, Kayla, before we took a break, we were talking about some of the pros and cons of online dog training. But now let's talk about some different problems and how they adapt to online training. Sure. So as I said before, to be honest, I will take any client online if I think that's their only or their best option. I really prefer to work on things like fear, separation anxiety, puppy stuff, dog cat intros, and cat litter box problems online because they all lend themselves relatively well to being Mm -hmm. worked through online. Um, But I've also had some kind of surprising success with arousal problems too. Um, You know, those dogs that are just hyperactive and unable to settle in the home. Um, And I think part of that is because that's probably my deepest bag of tricks Um, To go back to what we were talking about before our ad break, um, arousal and kind of those hyperactive, barky, jumpy, crazy dogs are kind of my my jam. So I think that's why, because it doesn't seem like it should work well online. But I think because that's what I do best, it's doing okay. I've also worked through aggression towards kids. As I said, I'm just finishing up a course right now for parents who are concerned about their dog's behavior towards their kids. Um, Reactivity and just about everything else online as well. Generally, my process for those more dangerous clients involves trying my very best to get them to go see someone in person. And as I said earlier, I often have those aggression clients start with that 15-minute call where we can discuss what's going on and get safety measures in place. And it's amazing what you can get done in 15 minutes um, with a good intake form. And again, if they're super remote, I'll take them on anyway. I've got a client right now in Japan. Um, another in Belgium, Alaska, and Guatemala, you know, and I've even, some of my clients are just in really, really remote. I've got someone in really Mm -hmm. remote Northern Wisconsin, which is where I'm from. And it's just like, you check every single training directory and there's no one within four hours of her. Mm -hmm. Um, And all these people just needed help and had no other options. And again, I'm not as effective online as I would be in person, but unless they're willing to pay for my plane ticket and my hotel, Um, (laughs) that's probably their only option. And I can still definitely make things better. Um, especially with those aggression cases, I might not be able to help get in there and do all the counter conditioning the way that I would like, but I can start talking them through muzzle training and using baby gates and reading your dog's body language and behavioral wellness and all of that stuff. Still, we can really get a lot done online. And it's amazing how much just really focusing on that stuff can help a lot of these clients. Um, I would say online dog training is not a good place to go for people who feel like they've already been through a lot. Um, I haven't had many people do this, but I know when I was an in-person trainer, sometimes I would be the fourth, fifth, or sixth trainer that Mm -hmm. someone had seen. Um, And often I was able to make headway then. I don't know if that would be as successful online because... Unless they've been seeing really crappy trainers, um, odds are I'm not going to be more effective online than someone else was in person. Mm-hmm. But yeah, for the That's people who know. haven't done anything, I think like those low hanging fruit, like I had a, a you know working line Aussie who's in a home with elderly people. Um, and we just kind of walked through like, okay, here's how to do some decompression walks and here's how to do nose work and all these things. And I was like, okay, we'll see how this goes. I might have to really try to get creative with this client. And like a week later, this woman was like, oh my God, best 24 hours I've ever had with this dog. Like it was amazing. And it was just because I don't think they had taken care of any of that yeah. hanging fruit yet. Mm-hmm. But if they were already savvy and had already been doing a lot of that stuff, I'm not sure. Um if we would have been so successful right away. Um, 
And I actually, as you know, got started doing the remote behavior consulting while I was at Denver Dumb Friends League, um, which is where you still work. And can you talk to us a little bit about the Dumb Friends League behavior helpline? Yeah, so... um... The Dumb Friends League Behavior Helpline was launched years ago, and it's such a great resource. And we get calls also from all over the world, regardless if you've adopted from us or not. So you can go on our website, ddfl.org, and there is a tab there for behavior support. And then you can click on um, a scheduling option where you, whether you have a behavior concern with your dog or behavior concern with your cat, and you can schedule uh, an hour long call with one of our behavior specialists. Um, we're unable to work with aggression issues. Um, we are most likely going to give you a management plan to prevent the challenging situation from escalating and to keep everyone safe. And then we're also going to, as Kayla's doing, try to give you some resources in your local area to see an in-person trainer, just because aggression is not, it's not ideal to be solved over the phone. Um, we also do email follow-up, possibly some videos if that, if that is necessary and recurring calls. Uh, we also have a list of handouts online on our website. So um, it's really meant to be more of a triage call and we often get calls from people who are trying one last thing before they are going to give up their pet to the shelter and those calls can be really hard but at least we are offering that service to someone and they are they have information and support before they're making that decision it's part of the reason why Behavior Helpline was developed was to be a resource to people so that they're not just jumping to relinquishment to a shelter, that they actually have and are aware of some of the resources that they can implement to help live more harmoniously with their pet. So um, it's an amazing resource. We we really love it. Kayla did an, uh, an excellent job and, and helped train the staff that are currently there to do those calls more efficiently. So um, kudos to Kayla. And yeah, so just another resource out there for folks. Yeah, definitely. I feel like we shouldn't be plugging this because I charge people for basically the same service that DFL does for free. <laughs> um, yeah. And I think going back to some of those calls where people are calling, you know, and they're like really trying to decide whether or not they're going to get rid of their dog um, or cat. Those calls are really, really tough. Um but I'm really glad that we're able to offer something. Um, and with mm -hmm. DFL, it's free. And with me, I really try to keep it low cost. Um, and I think I get a lot of calls and I definitely got the, these as well when I was at DFL where it's just people kind of trying to figure out like, am I overreacting or is this really serious? Um, yeah. And sometimes you do have to tell them, yeah, that's really, really freaky. That's unusual. That is not normal behavior. That's yeah. It's not safe behavior. And sometimes mm -hmm. you are able to tell people, well, you know, yeah, your your German Shepherd puppy who's knocking over your kids and chewing on their shoes is probably not super aggressive. Probably needs some training, yeah, but probably normal. <laughs> we don't need to panic. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And I think one of the important things to to make sure that we say is that we are not ordering anyone to give up their pet or ordering anyone to keep their pet. Um, but we do help. Like I know, especially in my private thing, what I'll do is I'll help people work through my own thought process and what red flags or good signs mm -hmm. I'm seeing in their case. Um, and I actually literally have a checklist on my website um, that I will go through in particular for aggression cases that kind of takes into account what the household looks like, um, what the dog's behavior looks like, what their history looks like, um, how controllable the antecedents to that dog's behavior is. Um, 
and really start to kind of look through and be like, okay, you know, given the fact that this dog is really predictable and it's just you guys in the house and you seem to have mm-hmm. a good grasp on his body language, like this is not a great situation, but it's doable versus okay, we can't figure out when and why this dog is reacting and you've got kids in the house and they have friends over and blah, blah, blah. You could have the same dog, but depending on the situations, it's really, really different. And again, we're not telling anyone what to do, but I have, you know, we get that question all the time. Well, if you were me, what would you do? Um, And that's a hard question (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) because I'm not you. Um, I'm Mm -hmm. a professional trainer and (laughs) I don't have kids and I have all of these skills that someone else doesn't have, but we can still put ourselves in their shoes and really help them through, um, again, kind of that really tough decision point right before they either give up their dog or figure out what else to do. And sometimes people just need permission. Like they just, Mm -hmm. like we have noticed that they've already made up their mind, but they just need permission. Some people might have significant judgment for people that give up their animals. However, sometimes it's, it's the right choice for both parties. And so um, giving them that permission is kind to both them and the animal. And if they're going to bring them back to dumb friends league, they're going to get a good home. So, um, Mm Yeah, that's just. I think a that's a really important point. We we'll we'll talk about this more at some point because we all have those sheltering backgrounds. But I think it's really yeah. important to recognize that keeping an animal in the home indefinitely just because you're the home they currently have is not always the best decision yeah. for that animal. And yeah. I mean, yeah, there are certain things that would be deal breakers for me that would not be deal breakers for other people, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And. What are some of the questions that you think are super duper important for information gathering, especially when you can't be there physically with the animal? Yeah. So I think asking the client what the animal looks like when they are behaving a certain way is crucial. Um, And so because a lot of times people will use specific labels and I will ask them, well, what does that look like? Or how do you know? Or what have you seen your dog doing to to make you use that label, whether that's alpha or stubborn or dominant or whatever. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and so, and, and also getting footage of that behavior is really important. I'm, I'm a super visual learner and I, and this is why I think I like to be there in person. I'm getting sort of Mm -hmm. better at online stuff in general in my current role at dumb friends league. However, it's, um, I really like to see what's going on. Um, but, you know, a word of caution, we, we, we don't want to set the dog up to fail. So, for example, if let's say I'm talking to somebody on, online and, and I need to know what their dog looks like, I don't want them to put their dog in the problematic situation mm-hmm. just to get film for me, which many clients want to do that. And yes. they're bummed if we as trainers do not observe the behavior. However, um, we, we we don't necessarily like it's it's our job to be better at asking questions and um, being creative and talking to the client to get the full story versus purposely putting a dog under undue stress. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not our job and we don't need to experience that and neither does the dog. So we want to make sure that we're not asking clients to do that. We also want to ask them like, what is the context in which your dog is exhibiting this behavior? And this is where we have to get really, really specific and ask really detailed questions. Like lots of times, like look for those little nuggets in the answers to then ask a follow-up mm-hmm. question. Um, and lots of times if I'm debriefing cases with 
some other trainers, they're like, Oh, did you ask this? And I'm like, no, how did I not ask that? And so it was like asking other <laughs> <Every> folks <time. laughs> to take a look at, at the content always breeds more questions and more questions is, is, is mm-hmm. a good thing. Um, a list of some other questions may include what have you tried in the past? Uh, what was the success of that technique? Has the dog been to a vet? When did the behavior start showing up? I usually ask like, has the behavior gotten worse, better, or stayed the same? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you generally respond to the behavior? What behaviors does your dog know on cue? This is important when we're wanting to replace a behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and what do other people in the home think about this behavior? Because we all know that uh, behavior problems can be emotionally taxing for everyone involved. So asking about what everyone else thinks and, and determining their buy-in is super critical. Yeah. Um, I just started asking that question. It's been really illuminating. Oh, <laughs> um, I bet. I bet. Yeah. 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 It's been really, really helpful to figure out like, oh, interesting. So your husband thinks that, you know, the dog is being, you know, what willfully disobedient and you think the dog is panicking and then, you know, trying mm-hmm. to figure out how to navigate that socially. Um, as a behavior consultant is definitely one of the harder things that we do, in my opinion. Yeah, for uh, sure. For sure. We're like, all like a okay, little bit so of therapists. You're wrong and your husband's right or vice versa. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't, we're not going to say it that way. Like now, Navigating like, well, yeah, I, I, I try to do like, well, what she's saying is correct and what you're saying is correct, but I'm just going to add some more information <laughs> to the whole picture. Um, yeah, but once you've gotten the intake information ta- taken care of, um, what sort of next steps are there for online clients, Kayla? Yeah. Um, so that is going to depend on their presenting complaint and which form of help they've purchased. If they're doing a video call, we get right into talking about the management techniques like muzzles, um, basic training skills like smart times 50 and bat training and hand targets and engage disengage games. We often end up talking about the ins and outs of counter conditioning and desensitization here as well. Um, And whenever possible, I try to address the dog's behavioral wellness like we talked about in the episode with Sarah Stremming as well. Um, And I really try to make sure that the behavioral wellness pieces are not like a cherry on top. Um, but I don't necessarily get to those in a 15 minute call. Often I will send people like a follow-up that's got links and I, I try, it's been nice actually for helping me create useful blog content. If I mention something in a call with someone and then I realize that I don't have a blog that addresses that, then I'll go in and write that so mm-hmm. that I can just kind of be like, as we talked about with counter conditioning and desensitization, here's the blog post that explains how to do that. Totally. Um, yeah, and that that's definitely helpful because, again, especially in those 15-minute calls, we don't necessarily get to anything, but I'll kind of brush up against something and be like, and I will send you an email with a link to more info about that. And that doesn't take any extra effort from me. I already have all of these blog posts organized, so and they could find them if they looked. Um, so I, mm-hmm. I'm happy to always send those over for them. And then for the courses, we're just following a general course outline. Um, All the stuff that I just mentioned is usually covered, Um, you know, so the muzzles and the smart times 50 and whatever else is relevant. Um, But it's covered in its own due time. So like for my course on kids and aggression that's wrapping up, this is the last week. And the title of the course is Keeping Kids Safe and Dogs Happy. And the first week was all management. It was all like, all right, how are we keeping everyone safe? Um, and then we kind of work through counter conditioning and desensitization and body language and all this other stuff. And then this last week, um, and I know that I just said that behavioral wellness shouldn't be that cherry on top, but this last week is all about helping keep dogs that are a little bit more easily stressed out or mo- more prone towards aggression really, really behaviorally 
help healthy and sound. And we're talking about, you know, we're talking about our decompression walks and we're talking about nutrition and puzzle toys and all this Mm -hmm. stuff and different ways to help walk these dogs that might not be easy to walk, um, into something that really makes those dogs a lot happier. And a lot of times that helps a ton. Um, and then for those email and text clients, it's really, really variable. Some people are very much so like, they just want to go back and forth with me a couple times and ask a couple questions and I send them some mm-hmm. blog posts and then they're off the races. I do p- automatically put them into MailChimp so that I send them follow-ups. Um, and sometimes they respond and sometimes I hear more and sometimes it's just, they're kind of out in the void and I hope that things are better. Yeah. Um, and those guys, the first thing that I do as soon as they purchase is I send them a super duper long intake form. And then we kind of start working through that in the order of importance that one of the questions I literally ask them is if we can only get to one problem, what one is most important for you? And then I kind of counteract that or hopefully agree with them on what I think is most important. Yeah, yeah. Um, And then I'm going to always start with tackling any obvious safety concerns, other glaring must-dos right away. So like with that Aussie example, you know, the first thing I did was like, oh, okay, we've got an eight-month-old Aussie who's living with an elderly couple. We need to add exercise. That's not Mm -hmm. a safety thing, but we're never going to get anywhere without figuring out how to get that dog adequately exercised. Mm-hmm. I do try to keep my suggestions shorter via email or text, especially if I'm texting with clients. Um, cause I have a lot more time to work with them and I don't want to overwhelm people with like mm-hmm. miles of text. You know, we can go back and forth. It's not a big deal. I don't limit people to, um, technically they're only entitled to one response per day, but if they get back to me and I'm already at my computer, I will respond to them multiple times a day and just kind of keep going through with them. I also really, really encourage my clients to keep journals. Um, and keep track of everything, especially for my separation anxiety cases. If they can just, I have a template that I'll send them and we can link to that template as well. I've made it public and copyable for people and I made a training journal. So we'll link to both of those, um, to help people kind of keep track of stuff because especially with separation anxiety, it's so easy to be like, Oh my God, we're only at three minutes. But then you look back and you're like, yeah, but there's three minutes of calm versus before we had 30 seconds of panic. Mm -hmm. Um, I also have, you know, some of my reactive clients, I will have them literally text me after every single walk and let me know how it goes. Um, They'll send me videos. And I love having clients send me just cell phone videos of training. And you know, what's kind of crazy is that I find that people really respect my time. I don't have so many clients that this is like my phone is blowing up all the time. Yeah. And the clients who are more in touch with me have the better success rates. So I would totally. much rather have the clients who are texting me after every walk and sending me videos mm-hmm. every day and stuff because they're going to be more successful. And again, I can tackle this stuff like I'm like stirring a pot of mac and cheese and responding to a client at the same time. It's really great for my lifestyle and it might not be what's great for a given trainer. And one of the things we didn't talk about that could be hard about online training is even more so than normal dog training and normal behavior consulting, it can be hard to detach um, you know, there are times mm-hmm. where it's like 1130 and I see a text from an aggression client being like, oh my God, he snapped at my kid for the first time in three weeks. It's like, <gasps> no, <Yeah. laughs> uh, it's, it's harder, I think, to detach in some to ways. To have those boundaries. Yeah. Yes. Um, so far I've not had problems with that, but I think if this was my sole source of income and I was running 50 clients at a time who were going through this, I might have to think more carefully about how I was setting up those boundaries. Yeah. I think, um, 
I was just, I saw a post on Facebook. I think it was Emily Strong, the lovely mm-hmm. Emily Strong. Yeah. Uh, she, she responded to a post where someone was actually, oh, I think it was Michael Shikashio. And he, I love Michael. He, <laughs> He's like, I know, Michael, we love Michael. I was going to say, he is the one who's gotten me on this track of being like giving out my personal number and telling people to text me all the time because he's the one who yes, yeah, says yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what he does. And that's where I got that idea. So kudos to Michael. Totally. Like, he, he was very much like, he, I think he posted like a, a text or a picture of two dogs coexisting. He was working on that case. And, mm-hmm. and it was just a rewarding for, for him as a trainer to receive that. And then he posted that. And then Emily commented and said something like, yeah, I have given out my number. I've given out my email. Like clients have never abused it. And it's always been super great to, to be in contact in that way. And I would agree. I, I have some clients that text me. And I feel really connected to their to their training process. I feel really connected to what to what's going on. And I I appreciate it. And I do not think people like I've had the same experience. I do not feel yeah. like people abuse that. Yeah. So. And honestly, my like the client, I've had one client, I think, so far in my life, which I've been lucky with, who has really driven me up the wall. Um, and she was <laughs> not what I was online training. And I she did not have my personal cell number. And I, you know, I. It, it can happen either way. Um, for sure. And then you just yeah. get good at like communicating boundaries. It's just, it's just mm-hmm. a great opportunity for us to say like, thank you so much for this information and moving forward, we're going to do a check-in on this date and mm-hmm. it's going to be at this time. And I honestly, I think the thing I struggle with more with online training is convincing people to follow up with me every week. Um, so I, totally. as I said, I, one of the things I do is I have them in a, I have MailChimp, and I have an online client flow that automatically sends people reminders and check-ins and even like choice um, bits about behavioral and wellness because I cover that with everyone mm-hmm. automatically. Um, and one of the things I do is every five days or seven days, I don't remember which, MailChimp will email them and be like, hey, how is it going? Please respond to this so that then I don't have to think about following up with people and chasing them down. Yeah. Um, because honestly, that. that is more the problem. I don't have as I have not had any online clients who text me 17 times a day. I've got more where it's like, hey, we haven't talked in three weeks and you only purchased a month of training. <laughs> like, what's going on? Yeah. Are things okay? Um, yeah. How, how is it? And that might be because the sort of person who online training appeals to is probably more independent and more DIY, um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. where they're much more happy to kind of be like, oh, okay, so these are kind of the things to work through. Boom, boom, boom. I'm at it, which is honestly what I think would appeal to me. Um, I know you're more Mm -hmm. of the in-person sort of thing, but I, I mean, I like the accountability, I suppose, but I think I would actually prefer doing that kind of text thing where I can just be like, okay, so this weird thing happened just now. Can we, can we talk about this? Um, versus like totally. having to save that for later. Well, so much good information. Kayla, thank yeah. you so much for the service that you're offering. I think it's so great. And folks check her out. Uh, she's going to give us some information and where you can find her. So mm-hmm. thank you so much for joining us today. My name is Marissa Martino, owner of Pause and Reward Dog Training in Boulder, Colorado. You can find me online at pauseandreward.com. Yeah, and I'm Kayla Fratt, the owner of Journey Dog Training. You can find me and all my different training services online at journeydogtraining.com. Before we go, be sure to subscribe to Canine Conversations wherever you find your podcasts. You can find episode notes and bonus materials at canineconvos.com, and that is canine all spelled out, um, versus canine of mine, our sponsor, which is letter K number nine of mine.com. 
You can also contact us at hello at canineconvos.com. We would love to hear from you, whether you're interested in being a guest or you have questions or anything at all. We'd love hearing from you. We do have a Facebook page as well if you um, want to give us any feedback there. Our theme music is called Funny Song, and it's provided royalty-free from bensound.com. Our audio is mixed and edited by James Edie at beheard.org.uk, and our logo is from Walker Hooper. You can find his work on Instagram at walkers underscore username. Thanks for listening.